Bible. Well, welcome to week three of Made for Mondays. Over a third of your life will be spent at work, being put to work in a typical 40-hour work week. Those of you, though, that are joining us, you don't have a typical work week. Maybe uh, your typical 40 hours is actually 80 hours or 90 hours, or maybe it's 24-7 because your work is a full-time mom raising the legacy in her home, or maybe you're a full-time student uh, in college or high school. Uh, maybe you're retired. You say, this doesn't apply to me. Well, you got Mondays, too. Like, when you retire, it doesn't mean that Mondays don't happen. Like, you've got the week as well to leverage your gifts and your talents and your skills towards uh, what God might still want to do in you and through you and beyond you. And so this whole series has been designed with one goal in mind, and the goal has been to transform the way we think about Mondays. Not a whole lot of songs, not a whole lot of songs written like, can't wait, it's Monday. It's more like, just another manic Monday. It's like, ugh. Oh, they got a case of the Mondays. You know, like, it's not like a case of, you know, cherry on top. It's a case of, like, the flu. You know, that's, that's what we compare Mondays to. And we want to transform the way we think about Mondays. Because if we, the way we think about it can change, the way we feel about it can change, the way we act toward it can change. All throughout Scripture, we started with this foundational element, and that is the word avad throughout the Scripture. Avad means two things, work and simultaneously, it means worship. Over 52 different times throughout Scripture, we see avad, work and worship, combined. And so really, our, our starting point for all of these uh, messages in this series is, my work is an act of worship. All locations, would you say it with me? My work is an act of worship. Yeah, beyond giving, beyond raising our hands and singing the powerful songs we sang together today, when you can begin to look at work as worship, it's going to revolutionize some things. My question for you is, if your work is an act of worship, how are you worshiping? How does it look? Is it pleasing to Jesus? Because it really doesn't matter. Do you know that when we come into a place and we prepare for worship, we have to be cautious what we say. The goal of the worship service on a Sunday or Wednesday night there in Duncan and Dieball, the goal of this worship moment isn't, I hope I can get something out of it. It's really, God, I hope you get something out of my worship. It's really about what did God get out of it, not what you got out of it. He's the one that needs to be the one who is truly being worshipped. And so we look to the words of Paul, and here's what, he, here's what Paul says in Romans chapter 12 from the message paraphrase. Um, what do we do with this whole act of, of worship? Here's what he says. So here's what I want you to do. God helping you. There's only so many things you can do. Only so many things you can do. But God helping you, God giving you the strength to do it, here's what Paul says, here's what we've got to do. Take your everyday, ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, and walking around life, okay, so you take all that. Take it up, look at your ordinary, everyday, walking, sleeping, eating, going to work life, and take it. Let's look at it for a second. What does it look like? What's the pace? What's the race? What's the attitude behind it? How, how do you treat it? Do you treat it as precious or do you treat it as a problem? Do you treat it as, ugh, I just got to get through it? Or is it something you can take and examine? God helping you, we take it, we look at it, and here's what, here's what Jesus is inviting us to do through the words of Paul. Place it before God as an offering. You know, God doesn't receive every single offering. 
One of the first offerings we read about in the book of Genesis is Cain and Abel, twins. Twin brothers, one was a rancher, one was a farmer. And the Bible says that Abel brought his best, his first, his, his, what he was supposed to do to show that God was first. Cain, the Bible says, over time, eventually got around to bringing his offering before the Lord. And it wasn't his first and it wasn't his best. And the kind of offering that Jesus wants to receive from us, way beyond the tithes and the offerings financially, he wants you to take your life every day, ordinary, work, life. What Brown can do for you, it's what God can do for you through you for brown it's what god can do through you as an offering to him paul goes on to say embracing what god does for you is the best thing you can do for him so many times we're focused on what i'm doing i'm in the lord's army yes sir i'm in the lord's army yeah okay that was was (laughs) pathetic here i'm sure nagadojos is excellent but uh lufkin you got to get on the stick here what we want to do, we're in the Lord's army, we're serving the Lord, we're making sure we do what we got to do. But he's saying, no, 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 you got to flip it. You got you to embrace what I do for you first. Then out of the embracing of what I've done for you, it gives you the motivation, it gives you the strength, it gives you the power, it gives you the spirit to be able to do for him what he's called you to do. He is not basing his love on what you did for him. He, he bases his love on what he did for you. And so knowing what he does for us is the best thing you can do. And then with that, we've got to be cautious. So Paul gives us now a warning. Don't become so well adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Without even thinking, you tend to become like your environment. You tend to become a chip off the old block Without even thinking. You begin to become like the people you work with the more time you spend with them. I remember being engaged to Janet and driving off of campus at our Christian university preparing to be a pastor. And I was in an atmosphere working that the language was stout. The attitude was stout. The conversations were intense and ugly and just inappropriate. And I'm not being like a goody two-shoes. I like to have fun and laugh too. But it was just, it was ugh. And I remember driving in and getting into traffic and, and, and there was somebody that cut me off and I moved over. And before I knew it, I had strung out a wonderful, not Mary Poppins statement. It was super califragia something. And Janet goes, whoa. And I said, whoa. And before you know it, you can begin to become the atmosphere that you are in. And so what I want us to do is, is don't become so well adjusted to what you have to work in that you don't become an agent of change in the culture wherein you serve or work or school or get educated or where you raise your kids, your marriage, your family, your workplace, whatever it is, family reunion. Don't get so adjusted to the culture that you just fit into it and you take on the norms and the habits, bad or otherwise, without even thinking about it. So the first step for us to do is to follow the song, uh, I'm taking a look at the man in the mirror. I'm asking him to change his ways. No message could have been any clearer. 
If you want to make the world a better place, take a look at yourself and then make a... Mm, good. Na-na-na, na-na-na. Then I got to get like... Let's see if I can get it. Oh, 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 oh. Don't clap at that. Don't. Don't clap at that. <laughs> the... Uh, we got to make the change. We've got to be, you're, you're frustrated that your boss won't make the change. The atmosphere is toxic. You be the change. You be it. And so what I'm wanting to do for the rest of the time we have is I want to talk about this idea of culture and the importance of culture. We talk about culture within our dream teams. If you go through the starting point process um, to be a part of our church and you want to join a team, we don't just say, hey, you, you're breathing. Uh, man, just join us on a team. We want you to learn the culture, embody the culture, be the culture. And, and we have expectations uh, so that our church, when people walk in, you can, you can have a great message. You, you, you can have great worship. You can have buildings that smell nice. From a business to a church to a family, you can build a nice home. But inside of it, the culture is what makes a huge difference. So write some of these down. Number one, every organization has a culture. Your family has a culture. Let me give you an example. The way you deal with conflict in your family creates culture in your home. If you never talk about things and you shove it under the rug, and that's how you grew up. We didn't talk about the whole situation. We didn't talk about it. Mom was gone for four weeks. We didn't even know where she was. She came back, and we never talked about it. We just, we just didn't talk about it. Every, every family has a culture. And that what we didn't talk about and the atmosphere that created, we shove it under the rug. Now, other people, like, they talk about everything. They let, their, their family talked about everything. And so when a husband comes from a shove it under the rug culture and uh, a, a wife comes from uh, let's talk about everything and they get together, woo! it's going to be interesting. That's going to be fun. I want to talk about it. No, I want to bury it deep down. <laughs> you know, it creates the atmosphere. And can I tell you, in business and in, and in uh, your place of work, culture eats vision and values for breakfast. Now, what do I mean by that? I mean, your business can have a, a goal to accomplish. Your business can have a, a great vision. A church can have a vision. But the culture eats that for breakfast. The culture trumps every single thing else. So if the vision is like what you want to look like down the road, if the values are how we behave as an organization, if your strategy is these are the specific steps we take to fulfill our mission and our vision, and these are the steps we take to, to guard our values, culture would be, would be the atmosphere that all that lives in. In fact, write it down, number two, culture is the soil Wherein the organization grows. Your family grows within the culture. Your marriage grows. You can have a goal as a family. Goal as, as, as a married couple. But the culture is what determines how well things are produced. The soil. I've got friends that, that, that plant stuff. I've never been a, a farmer. I've never grown a garden. But I, I know that one of the key ingredients is not just the right seed and not the, just the right preparation. you got to have the right soil. Good soil makes a big difference. If you've got, if you've got the chemical plant pouring out uh, you know, nuclear waste into your soil, you might be able to grow tomatoes, but they're going to have faces. They're going to have teeth. You're going to bite into a tomato and spit out a tooth. Not your own, theirs. Like it can create this toxicity, it can create a mutation when we have the wrong 
soil. So the way we act, habits that we brought in from growing up a certain way, avoiding conflicts, um, water cooler talk. See, they don't call it staff meeting talk. You know why? Because they don't talk about it in staff meeting. They talk about it around the water cooler. That creates a culture. And all of a sudden, the culture is when you got water cooler talk, you know what that culture is? It's a culture of gossip. It's a culture of not being able to trust what you can tell anybody. Or it creates a culture of you saying this, and I know all of us have been guilty. I'm going to tell you something, but don't tell anybody I told you. Right? And then they say that same thing to seven other people. Don't tell anybody I told you, but Susie in HR, she said this. So like culture is the soil wherein the organization grows. And here's the deal. It's caught a whole lot more than it's taught. So we think like new employee orientation, they're going to say, hi, I'm Jim Johnson with United Airlines. Here, we're excited about your experience. Whatever, whatever, not, no offense to the United customers or Delta. You know what Delta stands for, don't you? Don't ever leave the airport. Anyway. <laughs> or don't expect luggage to arrive. <laughs> That's Delta. Anyway, the, the uh, sorry, you can, you can teach new employee orientation. You can teach whatever you want, but what's going to happen is in the space between staff meetings, in the space between the travel, traveling sales, in the space between uh, employee reviews, that space is where culture is caught. So when people start talking negatively about the boss, it's caught. When you start talking negatively about somebody, it's caught. When, when people are late, it's, it's caught. And here's, here's how it's caught the most, okay? If, you want help, if, you want to, if you're a leader or a manager and you want to create culture, you create culture by what you celebrate. That's one thing. You celebrate. Celebrate? What? Celebrate? They actually did their job? Yay! You actually earned your paycheck this week. Don't be so cynical, dork. Like, celebrate what you want repeated, Celebrate that attitude that was right. Celebrate that experience that went off without a hitch. Celebrate that sale that went so smooth because this and this and this was put in. Celebrate when you have a hard job and you got to deal with hard people. Celebrate when you, it wasn't as hard. Celebrate those things. Celebrate those. Um, that's how culture is created. It's also created by what you tolerate. What you put up with creates culture. So if you're a leader and... and People, you know, Nancy's always walking in late to the staff meeting, and everybody kind of looks, and she's the one that's consistently late, and you don't ever address it. Basically, you create the culture of two things. It's okay to be late, and everybody's frustrated that you won't call Nancy out, and why should they be on time if Nancy doesn't have to be on time? You know how people get uh, this culture of favoritism can go on because they see treat, treating someone here versus treating someone there? What you tolerate when, when another employee talks about another employee to you and you say, hey, you know, I'll take care of it. Instead of, have you talked to them about this? You, you need to work this. You need to work through this too. Like you can create uh, the wrong culture. It's by what you reiterate. What you say over and over again. What you do over and over. You reiterate with your actions and you reiterate with your words. You know, every Sunday we say certain things. Uh, every week as a staff, we say certain things. We want to live the language, and we want to say it so much that eventually people that are leaving reviews on Facebook, they use the same language. They don't even realize they're using it. When we say things like, it really feels like a church anyone can come to, that's, what, that's part of our cult. We want this, the culture of this church, the atmosphere 
to feel like anyone can come to this church. It's not a church everyone will stay, but it's a church anyone can come. Dip your toe in the water. It's okay not to be okay. We just don't want you to stay that way. We want a culture of empty seats or a big deal, so it's a culture of invitation. Like there's an atmosphere of we care about people that aren't here yet. We don't just care about people that are here. We, we, we want an outward focus at our church. The same way with you and the values of your organization and your culture, what you celebrate, tolerate, and reiterate is what will help build the culture you need. And speaking of build the culture, write it down, number four. You are a cultural architect. You are either building on a solid foundation or a weak foundation. But nonetheless, you are building the culture around you. If you're a manager, you're a cultural architect. If you're a leader, you're a cultural architect. If you would feel like you're at the bottom of the org chart, you are a cultural architect. Jesus did not come from from earthly palace into ministry. He came from a barn. If anybody came from the bottom up, it was Jesus. And he transformed culture. And you are not to be in the world. You are not to just be in the world and of the world. You're here to transform the world by what Jesus wants to do through you. So Paul says... Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for him. Don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without ever thinking. So what is it, all right? What is this culture, what is it that we easily fit ourselves into? Here's a few thoughts. And and the the idea of you and I drinking the Kool-Aid, it comes from a little bit of a, a tragic, harsh terrible situation years ago when a cult leader, Jim Jones, uh, was going to be uh, taken over and the, 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 the military was going to come in and shut it down. It was a dangerous situation and they, uh, everybody, 800 people drank uh, Kool-Aid laced with cyanide and it was a, the, the, a mass suicide uh, that took place um, years ago. Just a terrible Situation, And so they drank the Kool-Aid. They just kind of, without even thinking really through it, they were just, they were blinded and they, they took their own lives, young and old. But we do the same when we become like the culture around us and there's little bitty things. Now listen, now before I give this to you real quick, I just want to say to you, if you're here, you're visiting with a friend, you haven't asked Jesus to be the center of your life. I want you to know we, we, we try to design these services for those that are senior saints Living for Jesus, centered in Christ. And those of you that are, you're, 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 you're kicking the tires. You're trying to figure this out. If you don't know Christ and you've not invited him to be the savior of your life, you don't have to do anything I say today. Like, like you can just listen. Maybe it'll help you. Maybe you can apply something. Maybe you don't. You, I think you can become a better person by following these things. But ultimately, you really can't involve, you can't engage all of these to the nth degree. And, and, until we invite Jesus to be the center of our lives. So if you're kicking the tires, I want to say some of this is going to be hard to do without him. But I, I, but I want you to know that if you do have him, this isn't, this isn't optional. We've got to avoid these things as Christ followers. And we've got to engage the other things as followers of Jesus. So drink the Kool-Aid. Here's some things that we tend to become as far as the environment around us. Cynical. Cynical. Uh, lack of trust with other people, uh, blocks up, um, not giving people the benefit of the doubt. We fill the gap between expectation and reality with, with suspicion instead of trust. Well, what do they mean by that? 
Well, why didn't they show up? Well, they must mean this. Well, they don't even care. Oh, well, I bet that's going to happen. And we become cynical of things. Yeah, pff, that never works. Or pff, that church or whatever. Oh, I've heard it before. Blah, 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 blah. You know, critical. Being critical is another side of this. Cynical and critical. Criticism. Cynicism. Criticism. Just sounds snaky. You know people in your life that are always critical. They're just like a snake in the grass. Just critical. Criticism. Ugh. Just sounds bad. Oh, can you believe they did that? I wouldn't have done that. Well, if I were the boss. It's critical of everything. Oh, that's never going to work. Can't believe they wore that. Did you see Susie today? (laughs) Hello. She couldn't pull that off even when she was in seventh grade. Whatever, I don't even know what I'm saying. (laughs) Cynical. Cynical. You know another one that we can drink the Kool-Aid if we're not careful? Unteachable. I got this. You, don't, you can't tell me what to do. Look, I'm going to do my job. You do yours. And we put a blockade against a willingness to be teachable. You know, unteachability uh, produces itself in many forms to be inflexible. When you're inflexible, that's an unteachability. When you are unapproachable, that's a lack of teachability. When people can't approach you. Um, when, 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 you are, um, uh, when you are not easily, uh, you can stand for what you believe in, but if you're not willing to listen, it means that you have some unteachability in you. If all of us could be flexible and approachable and teachable, man, that'd be a great place to start. Uh, to be flexible, approachable, teachable. Fat, F-A-T, flexible, approachable, teachable. Girl, you fat. You're like, excuse me? Flexible, approachable, and teachable. That's it. Number three, lazy. Now, I don't think many people would consider themselves lazy. I think laziness is more described by someone else looking on the outside in. And maybe you are a really good hard worker at work, but you're lazy in the relationship with your spouse. Or maybe you give all your attention to your kids, but but you can get lazy at work. Laziness doesn't mean a, a 100, like the whole kit and caboodle. You can be very motivated in some things. Like, I mean, there's some guys I know, they are very motivated to put a hardcore eight hours in on Madden. They, they will put the out, they will put the dedication in to binge watch the Netflix. And I'm guilty. But then they can be lazy on something else. Like, this is the way the culture, don't drink that Kool-Aid. Proverbs is full of, of people that their end is destruction because they just kind of took it easy and got lazy. Here's another one, touchy. Oh, my goodness, you know these people. They're just so touchy. What does touchy mean? <laughs> hey, don't mess with me. Just, ah. Just touchy. And you know, you feel like, you know what you have to do? You have to walk on eggshells around them. I better not tell them I need that report again because they're going to flip out. <laughs> I mean, I ask them to just do their, why, why can't they just do their job? It's like, I, I mean, that's what they get paid to do. I'm just asking them, hey, I need this. And they're like, Ugh, they're so inconvenienced by getting a paycheck to do what you've asked them to do. You're just touchy. Just walk around on eggshells. Just be, don't be so touchy. You know what? You may not get anything out of this. I'm getting a lot off my chest. (laughs) Some of you right now, I'm telling you, you have people's faces in your mind. Don't you? Don't you? 
But the truth is, there's somebody here that works with you and they're thinking of you. <sighs> Careful. Five, unbridled. Unbridled, what does this mean? <laughs> it means that uh, the book of James talks about be careful with the tongue. You've got to put a bridle in the mouth. You, you, you can't let things just uh, get out of control. Um, now, that's, that's a, uh, for those of you that ride horses, you understand that. Um, when I was a kid, didn't have horses, but I had friends who had horses, and I had friends who had three-wheelers. And we loved going to the friend's house that had, and you know, the culture of our family, you know, we didn't have that kind of stuff, motorcycles, three-wheelers, you know, it was a pastor's home, and we were, you know, you, you get, you're blessed to have your pay less shoes, son, you know, you don't have to ride anything, you got those shoes, be blessed. And, and we, we didn't have a lot. Um, and, and so when we got to go over to friends' houses, we got to do f some fun stuff we normally didn't get to do. And one was riding three-wheelers. And there was this game we played. It was really safe with me and my friends, Rusty and, Matt and, and Ryan, Rusty, Matt, and Ryan, and their, their brothers, um, called, uh, um, uh, what was it called? I can't remember. Rock Out. It was called Rock Out or Rock Throw. And we would literally ride the three-wheeler, and we would find ro rocks in their gravel uh, parking lot, a driveway, and we would throw rocks at the person driving the three-wheeler, and whoever got hit, they had to stop, and then you got to ride the three-wheeler, and we got to throw rocks at you. Real bright, real smart, and it, did, it didn't affect me at all. Oh, 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 oh. Didn't affect me, 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 at all. <laughs> well, one day I was riding the three-wheeler, playing the th throwing the rocks at everyone, and I, I whip around the house, and I'm going full black, and this is a big old three-wheeler. This ain't no tiny little Tyco thing. This is a big old Yamaha thing, okay? And I'm going, and I'm speeding, and I'm having fun, but my tiny little 11-year-old hands, it's hard to squeeze down on that brake. And I turn around the edge, and I had forgotten that in their backyard, which was very popular at the time, a massive satellite dish. And it was leaned, right, just like this. And I'm going, and I see the satellite dish coming at me very quickly. And I go to ram down, and I can't, I can't move. I can't slow down fast enough. And bam, I hit that satellite dish on that ATV with my forehead. I stood still, and the, 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 the ATV hit the, hit the pole and then kept going. And my friends, such great friends, they ran right up to the three-wheeler to see if the three-wheeler was okay as I laid there with Mount Rushmore on my dadgum forehead. I got a concussion. It was crazy. I had to go to the doctor. Um, I, I, I was unbridled, I, I, and I was loose, and it caused damage to me. When you don't have a bridle, when you can't pull the brake down on your words, it's going to cause an atmosphere that's going to be unhealthy long term. Number six, this is a simple one, just rude. Just rude. Just rude. Rude. You can be right when you're rude. Doesn't, you're not right. When you're rude, you're wrong. I mean, may or may not have been at a fast food joint here in town. Walked in immediately. The food, I still ordered food. The food was right. The food was good. The cashier was rude. I, I, I don't, I don't, I'm not the guy that calls and complains. But I was looking for the phone number. 
I was looking for it. Where's the phone number? And I wasn't calling to complain about the dude. I was calling to, to help a brother out saying, hey, dude, your, your service here is about ready to go under. You're going to put a for sale sign on this business if things don't get fixed with the, the, the point of sale right up front. Man, it was, it was bad. I was like apologizing for being there. I'm sorry I inconvenienced you to order this, whatever it was. <laughs> you want me to say, don't you? <laughs> It may have been, I'm not going to tell you. I'm not going to tell you. It's two guys, two guys. So, <laughs> so <laughs> being rude is a national pastime. People are rude to people that they don't know. People are rude to people they do know. People, husbands are rude to wives. Wives are rude to husbands. Families are rude to their children. We're rude to senior citizens. Senior citizens are rude to the next generation. People are rude, 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 rude. Your age doesn't give you the right to be rude. When you're young, you don't have the right to be rude. When you're old, you don't have the right to be rude. Nobody's given you the right to be rude. You don't have the right. Well, I'm old and I'm coming back. I'm old, I'm going to tell you how I feel. Well, you may do that, but that's not what Jesus wants from you. When you're rude, you're wrong. And you know, I got I to gotta be careful about this. Out of Nacogdoches and Lufkin, the population and the size of this church, this is just the people that attend on the weekend every week. The people that only come like once a month or twice a month, it's several thousand people that are part of this church. So one out of 24 people in Nacogdoches and Lufkin call this their church home. One out of 24 people. That's substantial. If you take just Lufkin alone, it's one out of 17 people. So if there's 200 people at Walmart... There's about 10 people from Timber Creek Church there at any given time. So, like, I got to go into Walmart, and I'm focused. I, I'm just going to get the Tide Pods. I'm, not just gonna, I'm gonna going to spend $42 and get a bag of Tide Pods. And, and, and I may be frustrated with somebody. The cashier that I work with, I may be frustrated. But you know what? As I, regardless of who I am, as a Christ follower, I begin to give up my freedom to be rude, and I lose some rights as I become a leader. When you become a leader, whether you have the title leader or not, you can be a leader from the bottom, in the middle, or at the top. You can be a leader, and you got to lay down some of your rights. Okay, you, well, you lay down your freedoms. You have your rights, but you lay down your freedom to be able to just be rude to people. Doesn't work. Seven, entitled. Oh, my, help us, Jesus, in an entitlement mentality. I am owed this, you owe me. And it happens in all kinds of environments. It, it can happen in the church, if I'm being honest. The church, it can happen. You're not going to tell me where to park. I'm going to park where I want to park. I'm paying my tithes around here. I'm going to sit where I want to sit. Seat covers, give me a break. Throw that seat cover off. You know who I am. I've been coming to this church 25 years, huh? And you know, it doesn't, that doesn't bother me. If we have to move the seat covers, we have to move the seat covers. What bothers me is when people have an entitlement mentality because it's not like Jesus. You know, we honor up, we honor down, we honor all around. Just because I'm the pastor doesn't mean that, that I deserve special treatment. But you should honor me as your pastor. I should honor you since I'm the pastor and, and you're part of our church. I want to honor you, you honor me, and we honor one another. Like it's a culture of, of honor up and down, around, everywhere. Like we should honor them and not be entitled to things. It's crazy. It's crazy the stories that, that churches have. Now I'm so thankful that this church doesn't have a lot of that. Like we, have a, we do have a good culture. But did you know that culture, culture can change just like that? 
it's a moving target. You know, we've grown by 700 people in the last 18 months at this church. And when you add 700 new people that either are unchurched, dechurched, or they came from another church, people is what makes the culture. People is what make the culture. Let me, let, me, let me show you this way. In your place of business, if you can think of the top three people that like they make the business rock and shine, figure out what it is about them and begin to identify their character traits because that's the kind of culture you want to emulate. Also, and this is a funner one, identify the three people like if you could fire them, you'd bust open the door say, see ya! Because their attitude, their work ethic, what they bring to the table, their, their, their touchiness or their entitlement, whatever, you begin to, that shows you the culture you don't want. You know what happens to a pool, a swimming pool? When you have a swimming party for an 11-year-old boy and he brings 20 of his friends from his baseball team, you know what happens to that pool? The culture of the pool changes. <laughs> Do you know how it changes? All kinds of ways. Sweaty bodies, pee-pee, you name it. Stuff, Doritos getting, getting thrown into the pool. And the, the, the culture of the pool, the, 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 the chemicals shift. So what do you got to do? You got to test it. You got to test it. Oh, it's looking green. Some of you, you're going on Monday and it's a green swimming pool. And you are the one that can bring in the right you're adding into it some clarity into that place. That's what you're called to do. And every time someone adds and shifts and things drift and we got to keep it. And so we want the culture of Timber Creek Church to always be clear. We want it, we want, we want it to be clear. And so when we drink the Kool-Aid, this is the wrong culture. You can see that I've helped you with an acrostic here. All these things, that's the wrong culture. Don't drink that Kool-Aid. So Paul says it like this, don't become so well adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. And then he gives us the solution. He gives us the antidote. Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. The more you become more like Jesus and the more that inside relationship becomes external, the more you're transformed by the renewing of your mind or the way you think about Mondays, that internal change begins to show itself outwardly and you begin to not only be changed from the inside out but then you readily recognize what he wants from you and then you quickly respond to it unlike the culture around you always dragging you down to its level of immaturity God brings the best out of you develops well-formed maturity in you so what he's doing in you he desires to come out of you. We need a whole lot less Christians incognito. We don't need Christians in disguise at our work. We just need, we, and, we don't, we, and we don't need silly Christians either, goofy Christians, weird Christians. Like you, just because you're a Christian doesn't give, don't be weird, don't be goofy. Walking around secretly trying to anoint people with oil, that's weird. That's weird, don't do that. As I said on the first week, hey, now, now that I've got your, now I've got my appointment in my books, is your name in the Lamb's book? <laughs> like, don't be that way. But as you are changed from the inside out, where you are, you become a cultural architect. Can I tell you this? Write it down. God's hope for the culture around you is you. Jesus wants to bring a reviving to your sphere of influence. 
but he doesn't do it opposite of you, by himself. He wants to do it through you. And here's the truth. Here's the truth. If you won't do it, he, find, he will find someone that will. Okay, he's not, he, he will find someone that will. You can waste this opportunity if you want, right? He'll find somebody because his, his job is life transformation. He wants to do it for you and through you. It happened with Daniel who was a, a prisoner of war. Um, when Jerusalem fell, Daniel was exiled into Babylon and Daniel so distinguished himself among the administrators by his exceptional qualities that the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. Your, your plan for your employer not, may not be to set you over the whole kingdom, but you can still distinguish yourself by exceptional qualities. So the rest of the time we have, I want to get you seven exceptional qualities that we're trying to emulate at Timber Creek Church with all of our dream teams. That we want everybody, boy, if everybody could hang on to, these, to this culture, boy, man, we, we would be a much stronger church in all of our locations. This is for you too, Duncan and Dieball. Like, like this, is, this, is, this is how you can affect the culture behind those walls. And so here's what we do. We're not going to drink the Kool-Aid, but in a very spiritual and nice way, we're going to spike the Kool-Aid. Here's what we're going to do, okay? We're going to spike the Kool-Aid of your job. And I'm not talking about rum. I'm not talking about Bacardi. I'm talking about Bible. <laughs> Bless God. I'm not talking about juice, juice, juice. I'm talking about Jesus. Okay. Not shots, shots, Savior, Savior. <laughs> okay. Oh, dear Lord. I got to shut up. Okay. I'm going to spike the Kool-Aid. Here's how you spike the Kool-Aid in your family. Okay? Get close to Christ. Get close to Christ. The closer you get to Christ, the more your life is transformed. The further away you are from Christ, the more trouble you will have in your life. I promise you. Get closer to Jesus. Get closer to Jesus. Get closer to Jesus. Because this isn't an outside in. The more you love Jesus, the more you want to be in church. I'm, I, that's the truth. The more, the more you love Jesus, the more you want to be with him. The closer you get, the closer you want to get. The closer you are, the closer you want to get even more. And people start seeing that. And when you are calm in the middle of chaos, they say, man, how can you be so calm? Or someone's talking to you about their chaos, and you're like, man, I wish I could give you the peace I have. And they say, well, how'd you get that peace? Uh, I don't know if we have time to, to talk about it. I just wish I could give it to you. No, 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 seriously, it's like you bait them in, right, just like that. Well, it's just because I'm getting closer to Jesus. The closer I get to Jesus, the more peace I have. And I wish I could give that to you. Well, how do you do that? Hey, why don't you come to church with me on Sunday? Or, well, here's how. Get close to Christ. Let me give you another one. Unusual servanthood. Now listen, listen to me. Don't get this one twisted. Everybody, every location, look right at me. Cows moo, dogs bark, Christians serve. It's not a special thing that Christians choose to do. It's who you are. You are a servant, period. If you're a Christian, you're a servant. You don't get to choose otherwise. You don't get to just be served. You serve people. It is in the DNA of Christianity. Jesus was the ultimate chief servant, took the very form of a servant to serve us so well, leaving heaven to earth and taking on the bath towel and serving. And he washed the disciples' feet, and those were some nasty toe jam feet, everybody. And so what we're going to do today, with the rest of the time we have, my ushers are prepared. We have a basin of water for every single row. And we have towels. They're, they're starting to bring them now. And we're going to wash each other's feet. Guys, if you can do that. 
I'm kidding. Some of you just freaked out. You're like, oh, Jesus, this is not a church anyone can come to. Because I ain't clipped my nails in days. You're saying, my feet smell like Lazarus right now. What in the heck are you talking about? No, we're not going to do that. Are you kidding me? No, you're welcome, everybody. You're welcome. Okay. <laughs> oh. I mean, you should have seen. No. Are, you, are you serious right now? I knew, I knew that church was crazy. I knew it. But can I just say, when it's unexpected, when it's more than you need to do, you know what, I, I wanted to model this at a marriage conference because I was talking about unusual servanthood. Can I give you a mar marriage secret real fast? One key marriage secret, outserve your spouse. Try, try to outserve your spouse. Now, don't, don't add a caveat to that. Like, I'm outserving you all day long. I'm outserving you. I wish you'd outserve me every once in a while. Like, no, no, don't, dummy, don't do that. But just try to outserve one another. If you can outserve one another, whew, game changer for your marriage. But when it comes to unusual servanthood, uh, there, was, there was 45 couples in the room. It was in Houston. I did the marriage conference this weekend. And while they were eating, I grabbed the trash can and I walked around. I said, can I take your, your plates? They said, no, 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 don't, don't do this. I'll do this. No, no, no. I, 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 I don't just serve you with, with speaking. I, I, I really want to serve you today. And so I just, I just picking up trash. Your pastor knows how to pick up trash. Your pastor knows how to run a vacuum in this sanctuary. I'm not above that. And neither are you. You're not above serving in the nursery. You're, you're not above serving in, in, in the church. You're not above it. In, in, in fact, we're, we're designed for it. We're designed for servanthood. But let's be unusual in the way we serve people. Let's look for ways to surprise people with our unusual servanthood. Number three, let's laugh out loud often. Just like we did a minute ago when you guys were freaking out about your feet. Let's laugh out loud. Let's be a church that laughs. Oh, that church, they don't take things too serious. I would rather, I would rather people say, you know what, that church, they just laugh all the time. They're not, they're not even serious at all. I'd rather them say that than say, you know what, they are so stuffy in there, I would never want to go back. Thou shalt not make church boring. Do you know Jesus was not boring? Jesus had a blast with people. Jesus, he said, children are afraid of boring people. Children are afraid of, Ugh, I don't want to be around that person. But the, but, but the, the fun grandpa and grandma, this, they run to them. They love them. Why? So let's laugh out loud often. Let's be the church that laughs. Here, if, you laugh, like if you're an introvert and you can't laugh like very loud, and you're, like your laugh out loud is... <laughs> <laughs> if that's you, that's fine. But can I give you a trick for everybody in the room? Everybody in the room, let me, let me show you how to change the atmosphere in 10 seconds. Are you ready? Watch. Everybody do this. It's going to take some work because some of you haven't done this in years. Smile. Just smile. Keep it up. Keep it on. Don't, don't stop. Just smile for a second. Now, don't cheese smile where it hurts your cheeks, but just smile enough. Just keep it up. Smile. Man, you guys are so, you're handsome and you're beautiful. L listen to me. Listen to me, Nacogdoches. Listen to me, Duncan. Smile. No, don't stop. Don't stop. Smile. Listen to me. Listen to me. You're precious. You're beautiful. You change the atmosphere. With, I'm telling you, smile is part of the uniform. Do you know what? You, you can say things 
easier with a smile. Hey, Graham, son, remember how I told you I was going to beat you senseless? If you didn't clean your room in five minutes, it's been three minutes and 48 seconds. Okay? Okay, punk it. Laugh out loud, smile, come on. Come on. And I'm not just saying smile and give somebody a Coke and it's going to change everything. But the joy of the Lord is your strength. Tell your face. Tell your face. Tell your face. I love Jesus. Tell your face. God is good. Tell your face. God's got this. Tell your face. The joy of the Lord can help me out of some tough circumstances. Tell your face. You're welcome. That's good preaching, everybody. That's good. That's good preaching. All right. Yes, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Number four. Thermostats, not thermometers. Thermostats, not thermometers. You can walk into work cranky. You need, to turn, you need to turn the dial on the thermostat. You also can walk in and you can gauge the temperature in the room. I, I encourage you, be thermostats, not thermometers. Anybody can say, it's a, little, it's, a little, it's a little crazy in here today. Well, be a thermostat. Add to it. Change it. Shift it. If it's too hot, cool it off. If it's too cool, heat it up. Be a thermostat. You know, I, I tell our team, I, I don't pay you to see problems. I've got tons of people that will see problems for free. But I do pay you to solve problems. In other words, I don't pay you to be a, to be a thermometer. Just tell me something. I pay you to be a thermostat. To really change and affect and be the cultural architect. Number five, unity equals anointing. Unity equals anointing. Anointing doesn't come from the way that I preach. Aha! North side of the desert. Did somebody hear me say the south side? No, you didn't. <laughs> North side. No, that's not that that's that's a style, but that doesn't equal anointing. Anointing comes from unity. When the spirit and the bride say come, when Jesus is saying something over your life and you're receiving what he's saying and you're saying the same thing, there's unity there. And that equals anointing. Do you know if if unless it's something unethical or immoral. Listen to me. Unless it's something unethical or immoral, do your job. Do your job and do it in unity. Do what is asked of you. Unity doesn't equal uniformity. You don't have to look like everybody else. But if you will do what you're asked to do, if you will not talk negatively about leadership, whether they could be eaten for lunch or not, don't eat them for lunch. Just do. Guard your mouth. Bridle that sucker. And I'm going to tell you, there's going to be anointing on your work. There's going to be an anointing there. But if you're walking around critical of everything, talking about people, be, going behind, cutting corners, hmm, you're going to lose the anointing. You're, going to, you're not going to be anointed at your work. There's an anointing that happens when you just do things with excellence. Number six, regular things really, really well. You can't buy... Filet mignon at Chick-fil-A. You cannot buy filet mignon in a, in a, in a uh, uh, Madeira reduction sauce from Chick-fil-A. You can get chicken, and guess what? It's the same chicken, cluck, cluck, chicken that's in any other chicken. It's just made a little different. It's a regular chicken, cooked really, really well. Bless the Lord God's chicken. 
marriage supper of the lamb, chicken. Chick-fil-A chicken. Regular things really, really well. But what makes Chick-fil-A great, it's not just the great chicken. It, it, true. Um, it's the culture. It's what you feel. You walk in and you sit down and somebody, like Nancy, she's 74, but she comes and asks you if you want a refill on your drink. And she brings you a refill. And when she brings you a refill, she also looks at your 11-year-old son. And, and, and I don't even know where she got it. She just went, and how about an ice cream cone for you? And I'm like, are you carrying ice cream cones on your bed? What's going on? I said, I want an ice cream cone too. Nancy, I'll bring you one. This is so sweet. It's culture. Regular things really, really well. Look at me. Look at me. Be on time. Be on time. Speak the truth, but speak tactfully. Don't be the over-talker in the staff meeting where you always got to get a word in edgewise. Everybody sees you. They know you're going to say it. They know you're going to be the first. Shut up. Like, just do, do, be, be, do the regular things really, really well. Know when to talk, know when to not. Do them regular. If you, if you are a custodian, do it really, really, really well. If you, if you practice law, do it, do it really, 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 really well. The regular things. Regular things really, 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 really well. And you will distinguish yourself, not for you, not to lift up your name, but it's Jesus that will be lifted up in that culture. And finally, I know, I know that, that Christians, this is where people say, oh, a bunch of hypocrites. You know, because they see you in work more than they see you in church. Well, the church is full of hypocrites. They usually don't see the, the hypocrites in the church. They see the hypocrites out there. Be enjoyable to be around. Like, if you're saying, I can't ever keep any friends. I don't have any friends. I've tried. Nobody ever wants to hang out. Right? That may be that you haven't been in the right crowd. It could be that you're not enjoyable to be around. Because when they, they, they got enough problems of their own, and when they get to you, it's like, have you heard about the bunion on my left toe? <laughs> and you guys are going to eat. Well, you know, Chick-fil-A uses this certain kind of ingredient, and it gets me blisters on my tongue. Okay, thank you, Debbie. Debbie Downer, right? Well, we're all going to die eventually. Like, like, just not enjoyable to be around. Be enjoyable to be around. You know what? You got to take a pulse there. I'd invite you, some of your best friends, invite them to, to, to speak into your life. Hey, what are some of the qualities you appreciate about me? If you could carve any edge off of me, what would it be? If you could carve an edge off of my attitude, is there an edge? And you'd be willing to, re to receive that, be willing to receive it. And now look, this is the other side of the culture. All of these things, I, I encourage you, don't wait to be the leader to be the culture. Don't wait to be the leader, to be the culture. And you know, all of this isn't by you and your bootstraps, you and your strength. Paul says it like this. All of this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. Our ability to even be like this and not be completely wicked is because of Jesus and Jesus alone. Now listen to me, pay attention, focus right here, focus right here. And what the Bible says, God has given us this task of reconciling people to him. And you don't do that just in a church service. We'll do that. We're gonna do that in just a moment. But it's your job, it's your work and it's worship to by showing people who Jesus is, you reconcile them. So the Bible says we are Christ ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. You know what an ambassador does? An ambassador represents a territory and he steps out of that territory 
and into other territory. Sometimes it's allied territory. Other times it's hostile territory. But an ambassador takes the values and the beliefs and the behaviors of this kingdom and steps out and represents those values and those behaviors and that kingdom. So when you step out of the chapel or the cafeteria at Duncan and Dieball or out of the Nacogdoches location, you're an ambassador. You're not a Christian here on, on this soil of Timber Creek Church, but you take it with you, making his appeal through you. And do you know what his appeal is? Come to me. Are you worn out? Are you tired? Are you weary? Come to me. Are you confused? Are you struggling? Do you need help? Do you need guidance? Come to me, Jesus says. And that's what you represent. His kingdom come, his will be done on earth as he sees it in heaven. So everybody, be the culture. Would you pray with me, all locations, close your eyes and bow your heads. And the truth is, you can't be the culture Christ wants you to be until you know who Jesus is. And you start that by inviting him into your life to be the Lord and Savior of your life. And maybe you've done that a while back, but you've drifted. Or maybe for the first time, you just need to ask him, be the center of my life, Jesus. I want to become more and more like you. If that's you at this location and all of our locations, if that's you and you're ready to surrender and say, I want to start following Jesus. I want to become more and more like him. If that's you, just put a hand right up in the air, all locations. Yeah, yeah. Several hands here, several hands all across our locations. I know. You can put your hands down. In your own words, you'd say, Jesus, be my savior. Guide me now, Lord. Forgive me of things that I put in front of you. I give my life to you. Thank you for not being mad at me, but giving me this moment to, to give you my, my sin and my stuff and for you to wash it away. I can't do it on my own. Now, God, help me to become more like you one step at a time. Give me the tools. Help me, Lord, get into this church or a church and know my next steps. Thank you, Jesus. Heads bowed, eyes still closed. You're here and there is a, a culture that you know you want to affect it. You want to be the right culture in the middle of a, a tough culture. And that's what it looks like for you sometimes. And you need the boldness and the courage. You need to know kind of how to do it. And it's, 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 it's a challenge. I want to pray over you. If that's you, would you just put a hand up in the air? Yeah. Yeah. You're not alone, everybody. You're not alone. Jesus is with you. He walks with you. His spirit inside of you and through you. Father, I pray, young and old, that freshman in high school, that sophomore in college, that seventh grader, that sixth grader. Lord, I pray for that lawyer. I pray for that custodian. I pray for that plumber. I pray for that business owner. I pray for that educator. I pray for that teacher and for that nurse and for that doctor. I pray that they would just carry the culture with them. And as they, as they just be who you've called them to be, people will start to say things they didn't usually say. And they'll say things like, what makes you different? What makes you do the things you do? Lord, may we know that and follow it and be more and more like you and see this world transformed one person at a time. We ask it all in the name of Jesus. And everybody said amen.